Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Pew, pew! Uh, hey, I don't know why the gunshots. It's uh, it's Sunday it's though. Yeehaw, the cowboy. Oh, okay. I was I was the space cowboy then oh. with my pew pews. Yeah, like Marvin the Martian. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sure. It's Sunday, um, and you're back for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Right. And unfortunately, Pastor Rod, we are done with your favorite book of the Bible. Man. Yeah, Song of Solomon is in the rearview mirror. Oh, I'm gonna write a, a Bible reading program that puts it in every month. Okay. And then we'll have to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> you going to feature that with our student ministry? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. We'll not do that this time around. Yeah. No, we had a good parent meeting the other night with uh, the student ministry. Yeah, man. It was, it was great. Had fun. Yeah. It was encouraging. Um, yeah. My kids are enjoying that right now. I've got two in our youth, youth ministry, youth group. What it's are weird we to have them at the parent meeting. Are we going to call it something? Right. It, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. HSM and MSM. At some point, HSM, his high school ministry and middle school ministry. Yeah. Yeah. See the, the day and age where you used to have like the, the thriving ministry and deeper impact and soul surfers or whatever we call, you know, whatever they call these youth ministries. Right. I think there's still a place, but they're just kind of hokey. And I don't know. You could so easily call something that just doesn't sound good in a year or two. And you'd be like, why did I, why did we do that? Right. So I like the idea of just calling it compass Bible church, high school school ministry, ministry, youth ministry, or student ministry as we're calling it student ministry right now. So it's just CSM. Uh, But at some point when we break off in a high school, junior high, HSM, MSM. Okay. MSM. That reminds me of MSNBC. I thought of that too. Yeah. Maybe we can make their, their logo very similar, but I don't know that we want to remind people of MSNBC. No, 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 not necessarily redeem it we'll try make it better we will hey uh let's jump in because man we have a lot of ground to cover over how the next, are we gonna like, get through isaiah three weeks and galatians we're supposed to go through isaiah and galatians right man i this is gonna be a fo- okay we're gonna have you guys hold us to this hold us accountable we're gonna exercise so much discipline restraint to not go for an hour and a half because this there's True. so much here yeah there god, is god help us there we is. should probably pray and then come back to this podcast again <laughs> You should pray yes. for us right now. Hey, we've, uh, you asked about them with uh, Song of Solomon. So let me throw out a commentary that I think has been super helpful for me with regards to Isaiah, and I trust it will be for you as well. It's from the Tyndale Old Testament Commentary Series, and it's written by a guy named Alec J. Motier, M-O-T-Y-E-R. Motier? Is that how you say That's that? That's how you say I've his name. I've always said Motier my whole life. It's Motier. My whole life I've been calling him Motier. Yep. Anyways, super helpful. I think he does a, a very good job. It's how do you a, know it's Motier? Because I, he uh, told you, you no, you call him. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I'm, because, I'm still on it. <clears throat> because a professor who came to teach at our demon program, who was friends with him during his lifetime, mm-hmm. pronounced his name Motier. So just because he's a friend doesn't necessarily mean he's right. On yeah, him. I mean I don't and tell why? people your last name is Gomezi. <laughs> I could, <laughs> you could. Well, okay. So first of all, why are you taking a demon program? Uh, well, because why are, you, why are you learning from the teachings of demons? Uh, yeah. Well, sometimes, man. <laughs> it's like okay. No. Yeah. Doctor okay. of ministry. Um, D that's, men. Yep. Not D, demon. Doctor D of ministry men. Mm. Yeah. Hey, let's jump into Isaiah. 
Let's do it. I'm uh, ready. Isaiah was a prophet. He uh, That's correct. He served in his role from around 739 to 686 BC, covered the reigns of, of multiple kings throughout that. He was a prophet to Judah in the southern uh, kingdom there. And uh, his name means the Lord is salvation. Mm, I like that. So it's related to Joshua or Jesus or some of these others. Some that, more Isaiah's in our yeah. life. Yeah. It's a good name. So why is he a major prophet? Because it's a big, long book. <laughs> and that really is as simple as that. Like it's a, he's major just because he has a lot more content. Right. And minor does not mean less significant, just a smaller a smaller work. Right. Some contemporary minor prophets, though, that prophesied at the same time, Hosea and Micah. Interesting. So same t- time frame as uh, as Isaiah is writing here. Dude, Isaiah is, is an amazing writer. He like he's got such is. a vast vocabulary. Yep. And he's so skilled. He has to be. So one of the ideas is that Isaiah is actually part of the upper echelons of Judah society and that he might even be a cousin of a king is related to the family, the the royal family in some, some way, shape or form based on his writing ability. I have reason to believe that he might be. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know MacArthur commented on that in his old Testament commentary. Um, it well, a single volume commentary. He said the same thing. Yeah. So many unique words that he uses in his, his writing, like a powerful vocabulary. Yeah. I am a little envious. Yeah. The general breakdown of the book, if you're looking for an, a very simplified uh, outline here for you, Please. chapters one through 35 is the judgment of God judgment on of Judah. God. So it's, it's going to have that negative tone for sure. Um, then in chapters 36 through 39, we get this historical interlude. That's more of a historical narrative section there. And then beginning in 40 through 66, you have a focus on the future deliverance and salvation of Israel. So uh, judgment at the beginning, historical interlude, focus on salvation towards the end of the book. Okay. Uh, One of the most well-known chapters that we'll get to in this book is Isaiah 63. Uh, Not Isaiah 63, Isaiah 53. Thank you. I I saw the the puzzled look like, okay, Okay. he really likes Isaiah 63. I was like, what's in Isaiah 63? (laughs) I felt bad for a second thinking, man, what what does he know that I don't know? know? (laughs) Yeah, Isaiah 53, which is uh, depicted depicting, depicting the, the crucifixion there. And uh, we'll get there in like seven months, something like that. <laughs> no, we're going to, we're not going to spend that long. Is no. Well, the book opens um, with uh, an indictment of the sinfulness of the nation of Israel, specifically with, with Judah, the Southern kingdom there. And uh, he, he really pulls no punches in his description of things. It's, it's not a pretty condition, a sinful nation, verse four, laden with iniquity, um, offspring of evildoers. And, and what are their sins? They forsaken the Lord, despised the Holy one of Israel, and they are utterly estranged. It's thorough. Verse five, the whole head is sick. The whole heart faint from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There's no soundness. Then seven and eight give this depiction of a ravaged and ransacked city, which is a, a metaphor for the spiritual condition of Judah at the time. And so he's saying it's it's like you're a city that's been destroyed. Judah has not been destroyed at this point. This is still before the exile of the people. So we need to make sure that we're clear on that. But it, their spiritual condition is like a city that has been wrecked and ransacked. Yeah. Rough and dirty. Uh, 586 BC, that's the number to remember. That's when Judah gets taken, gets sacked by Babylon. So we're, we're looking what? At the beginning of this book, seven, what'd you say, 740? Did you say is that? 739, you 740. 730. Yeah. So yeah. So we're still, uh, you know, 100 and some odd years out, 100 plus years out. But this is God speaking to, through, through Isaiah, hey, the future is looking bleak for you because of the sickness of the soul. Yeah. Verse nine introduces the, the glimpse of hope for the first time when he says there, there are still a few survivors. In other words, this idea of the remnant, which is going to show up time and time again throughout this book and this prophecy. And he's saying the Lord has left us a few survivors. Otherwise, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely wiped out. But then the very next verse, he says, but we 
are the rulers of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. And so he's saying, you're, you're not there, but, but spiritually you're as depraved as they were during that era. And you'll remember that, that situation historically, God wiped out those two cities because there was no one found righteous in there except for Lot and his family. Um, and so it's a, a it's a bad situation facing Judah here. And Isaiah is continually uh, lamenting that. And it, it, the the Lord through Isaiah finally says, "And I'm done." By the way, I'm I'm done with your vain worship. He talks about bringing the offerings and going through the motions. And he's saying, "I these are as he says in verse 13, vain. They're vain offerings. You're doing this, and it, there's no point to this. I can't endure your iniquity and your solemn assembly." you're sinning on in one hand and you're offering praises to God with the other hand. He said, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to hide my eyes from you. I'm you've exhausted me, but I'm going to call on you to repent. And that's 16 and 17 repent, wash your hands, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct these things. And if you will repent, then verse 18, though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red, like crimson, they'll become like wool. If you will do that, there will be forgiveness. However, if you don't, it, verse 20, if you refuse and rebel, the sword is coming. The sword is coming. And so that's the, the opening salvo from God through Isaiah is one of indictment and a call to repentance there at the end. I love Isaiah 1. I, I, the, whole, the whole thing is highlighted, underlined, and notated. Yeah. Isaiah 1 is so rich. Yeah. But for the sake of time, I will refrain from adding additional comment. Just the fact that I like Isaiah 1. Yeah. The rest of Isaiah 1, 21 through 31, a lot of the same themes come back of, of just indicting things. Uh, verses 22 through 23, just the corruption has been thorough. Your wine mixed with water. Think about that. As soon as water gets mixed with wine, the whole thing is saturated. There's nothing pure anymore. It's it's all been contaminated. And that's what mm-hmm. Isaiah, what God is saying through Isaiah. Your sin has, has gone throughout the whole wholeness of you. Um, he's, uh, he's then introducing a, a glimpse of hope that there's going to be a punitive and restorative measure here uh, in verses 24 through 26, that through the judgment, God is going to purify that remnant that we talked about. And afterward, verse 26, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed, he says here by justice. And those in her who repent by righteousness, but those that are unrepentant will be judged. The rebels and the sinners. The rebels and the sinners, verse Verse 28. 28, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter two. Well, since I covered chapter one and kind of took the the wind out, why why don't you take chapter two, PR? Oh, this is fun. Different way of approaching this. Uh, Hey, I thought. Share the wealth. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Isaiah chapter two, you got the heading there, the mountain of the Lord. Have you you stopped doing that? You haven't given us a heading in a long time. Now that I read this. I I had a a heading for this one called the mountain of the Lord. Oh, that's a good heading. It's your best one. Yes. I called up crossway. I said, Hey, I've got one for you. So God, God in this particular chapter is providing some sense of hope. A word of the Lord to Isaiah, the son of Amos or Amos, depending on how you want to pronounce it. By the way, we know nothing about his dad. That's why we have to guess about his progeny. We don't know what he's, what he comes from, but nevertheless, this is who he is. He saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So you see those two city names. Remember we're talking about North and South, uh, North and South, but primarily Isaiah is the prophet to the Southern kingdom. So he says, look, in the, it shall come to pass in the latter days. And you have to ask yourself, okay, what days is Isaiah referring to here in verse two? Now notice the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why? That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Isaiah is prophesying about a future, the latter days he calls him, 
where uh, Jerusalem becomes the center of religious, uh, proper religious worship. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, second half of verse three, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And get this, he says he's gonna judge the nations. God's gonna judge the nations at this place, this center of worship. He's gonna decide disputes for many peoples. They're gonna beat their swords into plowshares. You've heard this before, remember? You've heard this as as God, uh, as Isaiah prophesies about the what we believe to be the millennial kingdom, where Jesus rules and reigns. He is on the earth. He has come back. He is, he's establishing a new order. And at this point in, in history, human history, there's peace. There's no, there's no longer a need for swords. You're going to use it as a, as a tool and not a weapon any longer. You're going to turn your spear into a pruning hook. It's not going to be utilized for bloodshed. It's going to be utilized for, for, for produce, for work. Um, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, et cetera, et cetera. And so he says, look, oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And now you have the, uh, the not, so, not so happy part, um, turning at verse six. Yeah. And in fact, it, what I think he's doing here in two, two through four is it, there's an inclusio, which means kind of bookends. Think about it this, this way. So there's bookends here in two, two through four, and then also in four, two through six, chapter four, two through six. And those two sections are showing us what could be and what eventually will be. And then the center between two two through four and four two through six is the the current state of israel and so he's he or current state of judah he's saying one day it's going to be like this but in the meantime this is what it is and this is what's coming oh, okay that's an interesting and, and helpful helpful insight right there well, we'll look at the site look in verse six all the way to the end of the chapter here you, you see the day of the lord and this is where we're again we're turning a corner here uh look at this in verse six you have rejected your people the house of jacob so in, in the future there's going to be this glorious renewal this repentance and this revival but right now God has rejected his people, the house of Jacob, he clarifies. Why? Well, because they're full of things from the east. Fortune tellers, like the Philistines, they strike their hands with the children of foreigners. That means they're creating unholy alliances. They're, they're filling the land with idolatry. And so verse nine, man is humbled. Each one is brought low. And look at this. I think Isaiah adds his own little word here. Do not forgive them. That's pretty profound. Isaiah's commitment is not primarily to his people, although he is committed to them. He's committed to the Lord first and foremost. Um, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord. He, he, Isaiah recognizes something that I think we often really struggle with. And it's and, and you wrote your doctoral dissertation on this, Pastor PJ. Judgment of God is a good thing, mm. as painful as it is to acknowledge. C- can you just quickly summarize for us how, how that how God's judgment results in his glory? Yeah, it's... it's <sighs> in an uncomfortable manner, but at the same time, it reveals a part of God that we would not appreciate had he not ever entered into judgment against sinners, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when we see his wrath and when we see his judgment poured out, it causes us to appreciate his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his love all the more. And so we're able to worship him and glorify him because of those things when we see the foil, when we see the opposite, when we see his wrath, when we see his judgment. But the other thing too is he is a holy God and being a holy God for him to remain holy, the punishment of sin is the exaltation of his holiness. And so it is a right thing and a good thing when we see sin punished because it upholds that which is perfect and, and holy and sinless. It's like the whole concept of the manifold glory of God. There's there's different facets about God's personality, and that's personality, yeah, about his attributes that give us different reasons to glorify him. Yeah. And it's the fullest expression of those manifold attributes that give us the fullest ability to glorify him. The more of God's character that we can see, the more we can glorify him. And that's why, in part, judgment plays such a critical role. Well, notice here, as we continue on, uh, verse 17, the haughtiness of man 
servant shall be humbled. Uh, the, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Ultimately, God's judgment will bring them into a place of submission. At least that's the goal. Verse 20, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols. God's judgment does the intended effect and in, in, in producing humility and repentance. And that's really well, when God disciplines his people. That is the purpose, isn't it? Yeah. He's trying to get us to be humble enough to acknowledge our sin, to turn away from it, and to turn to him. So in verse 22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath for what account is he. Don't be afraid of the, the, the north or the south. Don't be afraid of the foreigners or the peoples. Fear the Lord your God. G- give your full allegiance and your full Respect to him alone. It is interesting. And, and I wrestled with uh, verse 20 because if this is the day of the Lord, then I don't know that this is a, for you and I today, God's discipline is meant to bring us back and to restore us. Right. I think this is more of the, the eschatological view of the end times of going, this is the day of the Lord. Yeah, they're going to throw those things away because they're going to realize the futility of them. But unfortunately for these people in view here, I think it's too late. Hmm. This is the, the group that's calling on the mountains eventually later on right, to, 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 crush to fall on them because they're afraid of the wrath of God. Um, and so I, I think this is a, 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 it's a, it's a sad scene. It's a sobering scene. It's a, it's a terrifying scene um, for the future of, of Judah here. Indeed. Yeah. Back to you in the studio, Pastor BJ. Yeah. Chapter three, he turns to the, the, the focus on the corrupt rulers. So he's kind of been, he's been dealing with idols in chapter two and the, uh, the, the, the misplaced affections and devotion of the people in chapter two. Now he's turning to, you've trusted in men instead of trusting in God, which is how he ended in verse 22. Stop regarding man. And he goes on, he says, you know what? God's going to remove. He's going to take away verse two, verse three, the mighty man, the soldier, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain, the, uh, he's going to take away all of the, the stabilizing influences for society that that uh, that Judah had trusted in and looked to for guidance and direction. God's going to remove all of that. It's not going to be there anymore. Or Instead, gonna replace them. Yeah, he's going to replace a ter- them. Terrible part of this, right? And he's going to replace them with with people that don't care. And leadership is recklessly assigned in verse six. You're just going to take hold of your brother and saying, "Hey, you've got a coat. You be the leader." And he's going to say, "I don't want it," because leadership is going to be held in such low regard, disdain. People are going to shirk responsibility. Yeah. It's going to be a, a, a horrible scene. There's not going to be strong leadership. There's not going to be clarity here. Verse eight, why is all this happening? Because Jerusalem has stumbled. Judah has fallen. Their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Interesting that he'd highlight speech. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean Isaiah in a couple of chapters is going to come to that very conclusion about yeah. his own speech. Right. Uh, why speech? Uh, it, speech is the revelation of the heart. Oof. What comes out of our mouth comes out of our heart. I think that's where we, we have to land on that. Uh, verse nine, again, the speech, they proclaim their sin in their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just was reading this thinking about our culture and society today. Me we too, are, man. We are so Romans similar. one. Yep. Immediately thinking we our, our sin is not only not hidden, we promote it. It is, it is Romans one. They, yep. they give approval to those who do the sins instead of thinking, man, you guys deserve to die. Yeah. We are, uh, uh, man, we are close to these guys. Yeah. He's going to say that later on. And I think it's tomorrow, the day after he's going to say, you, you're calling evil good and good evil. I right. mean, Yeah. But, but still there's the remnant. Verse 10, tell the righteous it's going to be okay with them. They shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Verse 13, the Lord has taken his place to condemn. He stands to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. Uh, look, the Lord is going to require justice of those who are corrupt. And that's a comforting thought to the remnant there that, that justice will be done. Um, but this judgment would, would be devastating for the, the nation and devastating for the people. Um, yeah. 
verses 16 and 17, the, the judgment coming is going to turn the tables on their present pride uh, and they're going to be brought low. So it's a, a terrifying opening shot from Isaiah in these first three chapters. I just want to highlight the the way that God talks about the daughters of Zion. I, 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 I smile at it every time I read it. They walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. That's verse number 16 there. I just always think it's a funny picture, even though I don't think that's Isaiah's point. Right. It's just that, you know, they're, it's just a funny, it's funny imagery in my mind. Right. It is. It is. Well, Isaiah opens that way. Let's go to Galatians chapter two now We're in only our only 20 minutes in New Testament reading. That's it. I, man, that felt like a fast 20 minutes to us. I don't, maybe not to them, but it did for, for us. Here we go. Hey, Galatians two, the apostle Paul then is continuing a little bit of his biographical sketch here in the opening. Um, and he talks about notice in verse one, 14 years. I, I'd never noticed that before. I don't know why. I'd never noticed that time reference. Oh, wow. That's a long time. That is a long time. From the the beginning to now 14 years later, he's back in Jerusalem and he wants to make sure, look at verse two, that he had not been running in vain. In other words, that in going to the Gentiles with the gospel, that he was not doing something that was fruitless. And and it turned out that he wasn't. And through his interaction there with the the leaders in Jerusalem found out, you know what, this is okay and, and this is good and we should keep doing what we're doing. And that's essentially what happens. But then he has to oppose Peter, which is a unique this situation. Is crazy, Isn't man. it? Peter. Yeah. Paul and of Peter. All people. I don't know, man. I was, I'm glad that Paul included this Yeah, because it shows us that even, even the strongest leaders, which yeah. you see Peter, I mean, he was the foremost, he was the top of the three. Yeah. And you know, Peter, James, and John, that's kind of the big three and he's among them. And and yet Peter makes this colossal failure. Yeah. Cause he's eating with the Gentiles until the Judaizers, certain men from the delegation. Yeah. Show up and Peter withdraws cause he's worried that they're going to judge him. Crazy man. And be like, you're unclean for eating with the Gentiles. How did he, how, like in my mind, I think this doesn't make any sense to me. Why could he be so easily, so it appears to be so easily swayed. Right. Cause this is 14 years later. <laughs> this is not right after the resurrection of Christ and the ascension. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Exactly. That's what I think. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But then Paul goes on to explain why that's such a problem because Peter was acting as though the law was still in operation and that he was going to be justified through his obedience. And Paul goes on there to say in the rest of chapter two, look, we know that justification doesn't come by works, but through faith. And this is a key theme in the book of Galatians, this idea that we are right with God because of faith. And in the next chapter, especially, he's going to hammer that point home. But Paul says in verse 20, my righteousness is, is Christ in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is such a good verse, man. One of my favorites yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. So we are uh, not to be justified by works and we need to watch this too. I think there's ways that we can think about this and, and think about, man, what are, what's somebody going to think if they see me talking with this person or if they see me hanging out with, with this group of people over here? I mean, we can fall prey to a similar mindset that Peter had to think that, man, is this wrong somehow for me to be seen in this environment or this context? So we, we have to be wise, right? I think there's situations we can put ourselves in that, that wouldn't be wise, right? Um, but we, we need to make sure that we're not forming our holy huddles and, and kind of hanging out with only people that we feel like are, are like-minded to us and, and think the way that we do and, and not getting out there with the gospel and making sure that, that people are hearing it. Yeah, living a Christian life wisely is is a difficult prospect. And were it not for the Spirit of God working within us to lead us and guide us, man, this would be impossible. Yep. Because you have to do you have to think about passages 
like those that tell us to uh, to avoid even the appearance of evil. You right. don't want to have even people look at you and suggest that you're doing something un, uh, unworthy of your of your call. And yet at the same time, to, to be wise enough to say, okay, well, we're called to be light in a dark world. That's going to look in some ways like, like compromise when it's right. really not that at all. Right. Right. Well, hey, thanks for joining in with another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We uh, are three chapters into Isaiah. We only got 63 more chapters to we go. We are blazing a trail we're to blazing Isaiah. blazing a trail. Hey, we'll catch you again tomorrow for another three chapters of the book of Isaiah and Galatians 3. Tune in again. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.